Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. Alrighty, guys, this week we have Seth Maddox with Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Uh, Seth is, if I get his title right, I believe he is our waterfowl program. Seth, are you the coordinator or the director? Well, I, I was, I'm a former migratory game bird coordinator. I, I recently took a promotion to assistant chief of the wildlife section, but uh, yeah, we haven't backfilled that position yet. So still handling those duties for now. <laughs> there we go. Got promoted with some extra workload, huh? Yeah. There we go. Well, well, Seth, talk to me a little bit. I know, uh, you know, we got duck season. You know, the split is coming up here this weekend after Thanksgiving, something that I always look forward to. I know a lot of guys in the state look forward to it. I've been talking with some of the locals down here on the Mobile Tensaw Delta, some of the different outdoor shops, kind of getting ready. And I've, I've got my, my waders, knock on wood, don't seem to be leaking. Uh, my dog, he seems like he uh, hasn't forgot what he learned last year. And we got shells loaded up. We got our plugs and our guns. We got our steel shot. Everybody's ready. And then the big question on everybody's mind, everybody's kind of speculating on what the season's going to look like this year. Last year, at least down here for us, was a little bit rough with the high water. I had a hard time of it. But what's our season shaping up to look like this year, you think? Yeah, it's always hard to predict. But, you know, uh, you know, from the outlooks, I think we're going to look better than last year. Uh, just, just how everything's coming together and how and what the prediction are for weather and but overall you know the, the fall flight looks good um the u.s fish and wildlife service service uh surveys uh does the, the may survey in canada and across the, the northern midwest uh in may of each year and uh you know they count uh breeding pairs and lone males and then they also count ponds which are available those prairie potholes that are available on the landscape and that equates to habitat and so last year, you know, we had some drought conditions up there in uh, those areas, uh, which which didn't make for good nesting and breeding conditions, which, you know, uh, tied into the fall flight. Uh, we didn't have as many uh, young of the year uh, coming down in the fall flight. So, you know, less than the pop- less birds in the population. This year, we uh, we turned that back over and um, breeding conditions looked uh, much better. Uh, a lot more water on the landscape in those areas. And so, you know, that equates to really good breeding and brood rearing conditions. And so I expect the fall flight to be much better this, this year. So that equates to, you know, total numbers that are coming down from, you know, Canada and the northern Midwest down the flyway. And, uh, you know, some of those eventually end up here in Alabama. As far as habitat conditions go, um, we, we had a really pretty wet spring and summer, uh, probably just above average for rainfall. So, a lot of uh, a lot of good habitat out there on the landscape in the state. Uh, plenty of food available for them. Um, but within the last uh, month or two months, we've had a drought condition. So, not a lot of water uh, on the landscape at the uh, you know for the opener. But you know we're finally getting a little rain here, a little reprieve from that drought. So hopefully those are filling up some of your duck holes. And if you don't have a pump or something to draw water up, you know you'll 
relying on Mother Nature, and it's going to be probably a little little slower this year than, than normal. But you know, overall, you know, conditions should be good. You know, uh, looking at the long term, you know, weather forecasts, we're they're predicting us to be in an El Nino year, and uh, so that 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 calls for a uh, pretty wet and uh, cold winter here in the South. So. I think the last one we had in 2016, and we had snowfall for a couple of days across the state, especially in the mid to southern latitudes of the state. So, um, but a warmer northern northern climb uh, in the in the northern Midwest are calling for a little warmer winter than normal up there. So, you know, if the birds get pushed down early, then they're likely to hang around and stay down here in the south. If they don't come down and, and get pushed down early then we may not get some. They may hang around up there and and, uh, and stay in those, uh, those warmer than usual temperatures. Yeah, for sure. So, and my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I know it seems like talking with a lot of guys, they sometimes forget like all, not all of our birds, because we do have year round wood duck populations, but our duck season is, is heavily dependent on what you were talking about, like the prairie potholes up north and the weather conditions really in those areas matters more than what we get down here on the Gulf Coast, right? Like what we really want is that hard weather pushing them, you know, as, as far right, south yeah. as we can get them, especially guys like myself here on the uh, on the Gulf Coast. I get, I get frustrated every year. It seems like it never quite gets cold enough that they see a reason to move down south of the Tennessee River Valley. So Yeah, it's kind of trending that, been trending that way for the last 10, 10 12 years or so, you know, a little warmer winters. Uh, so, you know, you, what we're really relying on in Alabama being at the southern end of the flyway is um, cold winters, cold weather, and then some type of, uh, you know, snow or ice cover on the ground to uh, cover up that whatever food source they have available where they're at. So in those those uh, northern Midwest regions, uh, you know, Minnesota, Iowa, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, putting ice and snow on the ground and having those cold temperatures really moves those birds further south. Now, we do have, you know, differing uh, migration strategies for some birds, you know, uh, like gadwall, for instance, they're diurnal migrators, so they rely more on the daylight phase, the amount of daylight uh, in each day. So as we uh, as we change their clocks back, you know, days get shorter, it's getting darker earlier, not as much daylight during the 24-hour period. So those ducks start moving, you know, further south. Same thing with blue-winged teal. Um, they, so they're moving south, they're coming no matter what, you know, the weather looks like, but some of them hang out at more Northern latitudes, like North Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, you know, but, and then, then they rely on cold weather to move them further south. But other birds, you know, like, like mallards, for instance, um, they're totally dependent on weather to push them further south. So, you know, if they can get, if they get to an area and they have plenty of food, cover, and, you know, escape from predators and hunters, uh, they're probably going to sit there until, you know, they get frozen out or snowed in, and that's going to push them further south because they have no reason to move any further south than they want to because they're a big bird and they use up a lot of energy to, to do that migration. And so if they're sitting fat and happy in an area where uh, there's, there's no problems for them, then that's what they're going to do. For sure. Yeah, I know. I know down here. I've looked at it. It seemed like it was different once upon a time. You could go back and look at the old harvest reports and the Mobile Tensaw Delta had more mallards. But I think here, pretty much my whole career as a duck hunter, I think mallards make up like 2% or less of the harvest down here on the Mobile Tensaw Delta most years. It's uh, it's pretty slim pickings for them. Where, in your mind, because you've, you've got kind of the bird's eye view of the whole state, what do you think are some of the hot spots for guys like me and, and my buddies who are mostly you know public land duck hunters? here in Alabama, what are kind of some of the regions that you think folks got the best chance at getting on birds? Yeah, you know, we kind of split it up into three, yeah, three kind of sections of the state. So, uh, 
you know, Tennessee River is probably our premier waterfowl areas in the state. We have two uh, two large WMAs up there, uh, our Jackson County waterfowl areas, which is in northeast Alabama along on the Tennessee River, and then Swan Creek WMA, which is in north central Alabama along the Tennessee River. You know, those areas have that's where our state refuges are as well um, that are that that we have and we maintain no hunting on those areas. So it attracts a lot of birds, a lot of um, lot of water on the landscape up in that region uh and it's, it's in a more northern latitude to uh to push birds down to you know it's not as far south as the as the gulf coast so um it seemed to attract more birds up in that region but you know even with the warmer temperatures you know we used to get a, a ton of mallards and mallards at, at one time led the, the a total percentage of the bag up there but um it's flipped over to gadwall at this point and, and since the temperatures have have warmed up some over the last you know 10 or 15 years and then you know coming a little further south in, in central alabama you know the david k nelson wma which is over on the ten tom and the alabama rivers at that confluence of those two so it's a good area to uh, to go duck hunting uh that area is kind of a hidden gem in the state for us um it doesn't get a whole lot of pressure but you've seen a lot of pretty good bit of bird activity in that area um and you know come a little further east uh lounge wma is on the alabama river right there and a lot of a lot of wood ducks on that wma and a few other uh, larger birds and then you know coming even further south down into the uh, into the delta uh you know the both upper and the lower delta are, are really good areas to to hunt we instituted that refuge uh, down there a few years ago in between the causeway and the, the interstate there so uh that's that's helped out some but still just a huge area of, of uh of water in that area so i mean birds can get spread out if they get pressured in you know one area they can go to find another and that's you know really what they're looking for is areas of, of no pressure and that's kind of why we wanted to institute the, the refuge in that area just to try to hold some more birds in the local area because they, they they do go out and feed during the day and uh, make those those little short flights and trips out to find food so once the food's eaten out in the refuge, then they, they get out and have to find something to eat. But, you know, that refuge is a, a protective area to, to keep them from getting bumped every time a boat comes through. So it helps hold them just in the general area. But then along the coast, you can find some birds as well, you know, down near Bayou La Battery and uh, in the Mississippi Sound, you know, lots of divers working down there. So, yeah, I mean, we got we got a little bit of everything. I mean, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're looking for one particular type of duck hunting, I think you can find it somewhere here in the state. For sure, yeah. I know... Uh... I've I've done the upper delta thing. I'll be hunting that this weekend. I was scouting it, and what you said really nailed it. Anybody listening in who hunts the area, it's full of ducks, but especially when the water starts to jump the banks and it floods, the name of the game is just just scouting uh, and trying to scout the day before you hunt because they they move day to day. I've I've chased big flocks all over the place, and you may see a big flock, and uh, you may have a hundred wood ducks in an area, and three days later, uh, somebody's done put the herd on them and they've done moved over because there's nothing holding them to that area. It's all just acorns and shallow water. Talk to me a little bit. So you've talked about, I've noticed like with, with kind of the warming trend we've seen here recently, I know I've, I've started to see some new bird species um, here in the past few years, like lemkins actually all of a sudden start showing up in the Delta a little bit. Um, and I know that's not a, a waterfowl, not a huntable bird, but something that I've, I know a lot of us down here on the Delta have noticed is a uh, black bellied whistling ducks or just everywhere it seems like and i know that's a bird that's not a lot on people's radar are there any other birds like that that people may not be aware of that you got a chance to hunt that fall under that migratory bird category yeah i mean uh so the you know birds that, that you talk about seeing new species of uh, 
Uh, yeah, definitely black belly whistling ducks. A few fulvous whistling ducks, but we don't see a whole lot of those along the coast. You'd see those more along the coast, and we just don't have a lot of that coastal marshy type habitat. But you, you, you're likely to see a few in the Mississippi Sound, a few model ducks uh, here and there uh, down in that region as well. You know, another big species that we saw see moving in and expanding their range is white-winged doves. You know, especially in that southwest region of the state, uh, it's a new new species for us that has migrated uh, easter easterly from uh, Mexico and Texas. So that's a new species. But you know, there's a lot of species that have been here for a long time and that don't get a lot of pressure on them, like um, gallinules and rails. You know, we have uh, common and purple in, in in the Delta region down there, uh, gallinules. Um, look similar to coots, but uh, a little smaller and uh, different, definitely different species. Uh, and then we got the rail species, um, the soras, the clappers, the kings um, that are all open for hunting. Uh, and a lot of that, we tie some of it to some of the season to uh, early uh, in September when a lot of them are starting to migrate down with our teal season. So you can take advantage of it then. Um, but we also tie the second split of the season in with our early, early duck season. So definitely open in, in, in no, late November all the way into December and January. So uh, those species are, are, yeah, don't get a lot of pressure on them. We have uh, a few thousand hunters that uh, that chase those species every year, but definitely a really fun species to hunt and, and good table fare as well. For sure. I've uh, This was actually the first year I'd ever shot a Sora, uh, but all the way back in college, I started shooting it at Gallinule and uh, they, I tell, tell people they, they look funny, but they eat real similar to dove. And then they're real enjoyable to hunt. If you get up in the rice flats early in the year, you push pole a canoe around and, and jump shoot them. They're a lot of fun that way. I guess I guess we'll close. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know folks are still going to be doing their last minute preparations, getting ready for this season. So I'll go ahead and ask, uh, where's a good place for folks who are either new or for folks like myself who just like to go every year and, and check and make sure nothing's changed for regulations or anything like that. What are some good resources that you guys have online that people can go check out? Where can they get all that information? Yeah, we definitely have our, our uh, hunting and fishing digest out and uh, you can check that out. Yeah, they're at most local uh, sporting goods retailers or Walmarts or other small re- retailers. Um, and then you can go up to our website at outdooralabama.com and then uh, go into the hunting tab and, and click on waterfowl. And we have our, our waterfowl hunting guide there. Uh, has all the resources you need. You can uh, has contact information. You can contact us if you got specific questions. Uh, and we'll try to help you out. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, y'all getting out there this weekend, definitely brush up on your regulations. Make sure that you got your plug. Make sure that you got your steel shot. Uh, be courteous to the other hunters out there. I know sometimes opening morning can get a little tense. Everybody wants to get out there early and get their first crack at birds. But, uh, Check out the regulations. Make sure you're doing everything legal, and then I can attest to what Seth said. If you got questions, you can call. I've always been real happy talking with our DCNR guys. They've always been real friendly and helpful, uh, as you've heard today from Seth. And, Seth, I appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah, thanks. Looking forward to next time. Absolutely. All righty, guys. That was Seth Maddox giving us the waterfowl report. Now we'll go ahead and we'll jump into our regularly scheduled fishing report. But first, let's hear from some of this week's sponsors. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Bucks Island. Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors. They can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians. 
Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, 35907 zip code, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Alrighty, guys, we're back from that quick break. This time we got Clayton Bats over on Lake Eufaula. Uh, Clayton, how you doing today, sir? Oh, pretty good. Just taking a break from being on the water and in the woods. Yeah, and I know you were sending me some pictures earlier today. It looks like... uh, and it, it looks like y'all sat there and committed an act of violence against them wood ducks over there in Georgia. <laughs> yeah, we had a real good opening weekend. It was a lot of fun. Just still working on finding a few more holes. That way we can start rotating through them. That, that's it, man. I tell people that's the biggest thing with wood ducks is you can't be in there every day shooting them. You know, you can't you can't show up every day, even every weekend. Like you put too much pressure on them and then birds, they'll be gone before you know it. So you got to rotate your spots out. How's how's the fishing up there on the lake? How's everything looking out there? Good. The water still looks good. Um, it could come up a little bit, but where I'm catching them at, that really don't affect me too much. It affects all the shallow water guys. I'm still out there chasing fish offshore in the trees and all the deep ledges. Uh, just They're grouped up real good right now, so when you go to catching them, I mean, you can catch them, catch them. Size is mixed in with a bunch of two-pounders, but then you're liable to catch a five-pounder. It just makes for a fun day catching a bunch of quantity and a bunch of quality. Yeah, that sounds like best of both worlds right there. That's usually what I ask people if, if it's a quality or a quantity bite, and it's always good to have it mixed. What uh, what are you catching them on right now? You said you're catching them offshore in some of the deeper holes. Yeah, I'm catching them anywhere from 25 to 30 feet right now around timber. So I'm throwing a drop shot, a shaky hit, and about the only thing you can get down there kind of be efficient moving-wise is a Jinko trimmer head and trimmer shad that just lets you work it down there a little slower a little deeper i got you any particular color you've been liking i stick with a couple different colors i mean anything in that morning dawn uh when it goes to that trimmer head olive shad that's always my favorite that's my go-to spring summer fall that's just one i got a lot of confidence in and that's the one i throw probably 95 percent of the time i got you looking at it would you consider y'all still kind of in your fall bite pattern yeah that's Fishing real deep like that, I mean, everybody knows fall fishing. I mean, it can be feast or famine. And one way I kind of try to beat that on you fall is going out there super deep. And you'll get a bunch of fish, the bait to start getting out there in that 25 and 30 foot stuff. They really don't have a reason to leave. So instead of chasing a bunch of those smaller fish up on the flats and up on shallow on the bank that are schooling and stuff, I stay out there deep on those deep fish. Just where it's a little bit more consistent. And you don't have to really worry about chasing schoolers or catching 12-inch fish. You still have a bunch of quality mixed in. So you talk about being out there out there deeper and, and kind of getting there where the bait's at and where the water temperature is kind of stable. Are you kind of already, is that type fishing the kind of the same pattern that you're going to stay on and ride out as it starts to get colder? Yeah, I will stay on that pattern. I have everybody that fishes you follow with me. They're like... I stay offshore so much. They're like, do you ever go to the bank? Uh, and the only time that I'll change up any of my offshore stuff and go to the bank is if it's muddy. That's the only time I will not be out there fishing deep. What pushes you up shallow when it gets muddy? It's kind of like me taking you to Golden Corral and turn the lights off. The bait leaves, the food leaves, and obviously if you can't see, you're not going to be able to feed too efficiently. So without them being able to see the bait coming on those ledges out there real deep and it's pitch black dark, then they have to go somewhere they can see to feed and do all that. So they will go to the bank, get in the grass, uh, brush, 
anything they can get on right now with a leg being low. I guess, I guess that makes a real lot of sense. I guess muddy water being that deep would really impact visibility. So you think you think it's that you think they're that visual at that depth still? I I would have figured with them being that deep, they'd be feeding based on you know smell or their lateral line. Or I guess I guess that's obviously not been your experience. I mean, you obviously catch them that way. That's impressive if they're if they're seeing down there in 25, 30 feet of lake water. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, I think they feed a lot visual down there. <laughs> and what makes me say that is the way they set up. I'm set telling y'all I'm catching them in timber right now. But when they get on schools out there, they get where there's voids in that timber or there might be one tree because when they're generating water, they like to be able to see that food coming to them. And like what a bunch of people know, if you go out there and like say you're fishing a school of fish where there's 30 fish and somebody comes out there and puts a brush pile on that hard spot, it hurts it. It'll fit a whole school of move just because they know they want to sit on that hard spot and be able to see that food coming to them in that current and then visually be able to go eat it. Yeah, that I mean, that makes sense. So, you know, and it's interesting, that kind of brings me to a conversation I've always wanted to ask somebody who knew better than I did. So you, you hear a lot of theories on color. Some guys are big on color. Some guys aren't on color. Some guys, you know, they like gold flag. They don't like gold flick. What are your thoughts on when you get into those muddier water conditions? Do you change your bait color any, or do you just fish your regular colors and try to find areas that have a little bit better water clarity? I've got about five, or I'll probably say seven, five to seven colors that I throw in every bait. You're talking about with a flake and stuff in it. I do like something that's got a red flake in it, because that is when, oh, red is the most visual color when it's opaque. It's the least visible when it's translucent. Just like the Cajun red line is translucent. You can't see it. But when it's opaque, like of a glitter or anything like that, it is the most visible down there. So I do like something with a red flake in it. But do I think a bass is going to swim it to a, excuse a random color, a green pumpkin, red flake worm, and there's a green pumpkin, green flake worm next to it. He's going to swim there and say, oh, I don't like that flake color. No, he's going to eat it. I think it matters some, but it's more of a confidence issue with fishermen than it is with a fish. For sure. That 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 sounds like a reasonable explanation for that. I know uh, I go back and forth on it. There's days I, I feel like I do better down here. And if the water is muddy, switch into a real dark color. Like I may fish something like a solid black worm. And I feel like sometimes that gets a bit better. But then some days I feel like it doesn't make any difference. And <laughs> Right. And I mean, I do think the darker colors in the muddier water, they can see it better. So when I was going back to my seven colors, if it is darker water, I ain't going to be throwing like a blueberry or a black or sapphire blue. And then if it's clear, I will be throwing like a green pumpkin, uh, green pumpkin, Texas red. Something looks a little bit more natural down there. But I don't get spun out on having 50 different colors of the same plastic. I'm there with that five or seven colors. And I think I'm going to catch them in about every water color that's given to me on those colors. For sure. What kind of changed the subject here a little bit? I know getting here into the winter, right? Like Alabama gets a lot of rain here in the winter. And I was just talking with Seth Maddox at DCNR and he said that he was predicting or, or not that he was predicting, but, but the, the meteorologists were saying that the long-term forecast for this year would be a pretty wet winter. And I know here that really affects the water level where I'm fishing. How, what does that usually do at Lake Eufaula? Do they usually control that pretty well with the dam? How do the winter rains affect that fishery up there? 
to be honest with you, you never know with the corpse up there. I mean, that is terrible for me to say. You can get a bunch of rain and they'll suck the bottom out of it. You can get hardly any rain and they just won't pull any water and it'll go up. So it's one of those deals. I use River Flows. It's an app. And that's just how I keep up with it. I mean, I've been on guide trips and we'll catch them really good. And I'm going kind of the winter and spring right now and it is muddy and I am on the bank. Um, you'll catch them real good one day and the water level will be right. And I'll dump the boat in the next morning, look at the ramp, be like, oh, they sucked it. And I'll look at the water level and it'll be down a foot. And where I was catching them at the day before, there won't be any water. So I have to make an adjustment on that. So it's one of those deals you follow is you really need to pay a whole, like a lot of attention to the water level, especially on that shallow water bike that we will be, we will be getting into that in December, January. So that is one thing you really need to be uh, conscious of is checking that water level every day. Like I just, while we were discussing that, I just pulled it up. It's 186.9 right now. It's over a foot low, but it's been that now considering you might give it another month and it might be above 188 again. It's just, for sure. It's one of those things you re- that is a really important that is a really important thing when you're fishing shallow and you fall is making sure and checking that water level. Because I'll have a bunch of people that go, God, we caught a really good shallow yesterday. And I'll be like, what was the water level? And they'll never even look. And I'll look back at the thing and it'll be like eight or ten inches different. Oh, you caught them better because it was up there in that uh, water willow. And now it's eight or ten different eight or ten inches different and they left. That's the reason you didn't get bit today. Yeah, that that definitely makes a lot of sense. I know, I know. Here too, it can change overnight. I've I've had issues like, or like 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 today, like we we're just talking about it. The water level has been trending at like you know two and a half, three feet, and it shot up with a little bit of rain to five and a half feet, which makes a a real big difference. Like you were saying, all of a sudden, some of your shallow flats aren't so shallow anymore. Or if you're a duck hunter, that can be the difference between a you know, being able to get out there with a pair of hip boots or your chest waders versus needing to go in by boat to a spot, you know, it, it definitely, it changes real quick on the big river system. So, and I, and I got to ask, since we got the duck opener coming up, uh, I hear you follow has a pretty good goose population. Uh, what, what's the ducks usually look like out there on that, that core land? <laughs> um, some of the shoots you can have up there in the core is pretty good. I know some people that do very well down the lake. But to be honest with you, it's a real hit or miss. I had buddies, this is a little quick story. I had buddies that were out there duck hunting last year, and I was on a guide trip. And I think they shot like one or two. And I sent them a picture of a dock that I was sitting there fishing. And there was four mallards on it, and three of them were banded. (laughs) (laughs) The ducks are there. They're just smart, and they don't get away from those docks and some of that stuff. I, I swear it's the same everywhere. I've hunted up. I've I've been up on the Tennessee River system. I've been up on the Alabama, the Tom Bigby hunt down here in the Mobile, Tennessee Delta. And uh, I know down here our geese are exactly that way. The geese pile up at Fairhope Park and they pile up at Battleship Park and they know exactly what I think is like a hundred yard distance you got to keep. And they know exactly where that line is. Like you could, if you ever needed to survey it, you call a goose instead of call a surveyor. They know exactly where that legal line is. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've had a bunch of people ask me about where to go, and I've given people places to go. But we were just discussing about how I like to fish this time of year out in the middle on ledges and stuff. I'll get out there, and there will be rafts of them just out there in the middle. And they don't pay any attention to a bass boat or anything, but you get somebody come by in a mud motor or anything, there they go. 
So I get her, hey. I said, look, the best thing you can do is probably just book a guide trip with me. We'll catch some fish and just keep a shotgun around. I, I tell my friends every year we have this conversation, especially during early teal season, that the way to the way to shoot ducks would be to go out there in a big white fiberglass skiff and, and wear your Chacos and your Columbia shirts and your sunglasses and all that. And and just keep a rod in your hand and keep a shotgun in the floor of the boat. You could probably kill every bird out there. But that is 100% true. So did you get out there in a giant boat with camouflage, just like they can see that from a mile away? They say, "Oh yeah, those guys—they're not fishing for redfish." So <laughs> they know. They know the sound of that mud motor after a couple of times after you shoot at them. You better not be running around too much. That's yeah. That's very true. I've I've actually watched that. I have watched birds get up and leave over the sound of a mud motor on the river. I can't say I blame them. If I was trying to sleep somewhere, trying to hang out, I wouldn't want to hang out around air-cooled mud motor either. <laughs> I mean, they do it. I see it everywhere I go. Like, with the best gator guide on Eufaula, he guides out of a Ranger fiberglass Ranger bass boat with a 250 Merc on it. And he's the best one on the lake. And, I mean, he kills giants. But he's in that he's in that uh, glass boat. He'll just sneak up on them, and they, they kill them. I had, I had years ago, I, I got into duck hunting quote unquote seriously and uh i decided i was going to get a mud motor for my boat and i asked a guy i had a friend who was down in south louisiana and in a past life he had been a, a commercial crawfish fisherman uh and a duck hunting guide so i said hey i want a mud motor what mud motor should i get and he said man he said you couldn't you couldn't give me a mud motor i was like really he said anything he said if you can't do it with a regular four-stroke outboard you ain't got no business doing it he said, if you can't trim her up and make it happen, he said, it ain't worth fooling with. He said, they're the loudest, most aggravating things. He said, you couldn't give me one. And I did, I wouldn't listen to him. And I had one I hunted with two or three seasons. And I finally came to the conclusion that if I can't do it with an outboard, I'm not going to do it no more. <laughs> yep. I see it every day. That's it. Well, Clayton, if folks want to uh, want to get out there with you and get on some of that, that fall, winter, you know, deep deep offshore fishing up there on Lake Eufaula, what's a good place to get in touch with you at? Yeah, just look lakeufaulafishingguide.com or give me a call, 334-310-8338. Well, there we go, guys. Definitely, if y'all out there in the area and want to get on some big fish, y'all go give Clayton a call. And Clayton, as always, I appreciate you being on the show. Yes, sir. Appreciate y'all. Alrighty, guys, again, that was Clayton Batts over on Lake Eufaula. We're going to hear next from Eric Cagle. Uh, before we do that, let's go ahead and take a quick break and hear from some of the sponsors that keep this show free to you. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The days of heading out and blindly looking for good fishing areas are pretty much over. Don't waste time and money on fuel searching for fish. You need the recent highest resolution images to not only know where to go, but where not to go. The knowledge provided by today's technology is critical when planning an offshore fishing trip. Make the choice that professional captains all over the Gulf make and choose Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The easy-to-use interface and excellent customer service will have you on the fish every time you go. Check it out at hiltonsoffshore.com. Alrighty, guys, we're back. And for our last guest today, we've got Eric Cagle over on the uh, Coosa and Tallapoosa River Systems. Eric, how you doing today, sir? Hey, man, doing real good. Doing good. How about you? I'm I'm doing good, man. I'm sitting here. I'm I'm just getting geared up. I'm trying to eat a little bit less, make a little bit room for uh, Thursday. <laughs> make make sure I don't run out of steam halfway through the day. So, if y'all got big holiday plans <laughs> coming up? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna eat a bunch of turkey and dressing, and and uh, sit on the couch and try to let it 
settle in for a day or so. But uh, we got we got Thanksgiving Day off here, and then we get back to fishing the day after Thanksgiving. So we ain't, don't have much time off, but we do have a we we are going to enjoy Thanksgiving Day. That's it. That's it. You got to take a break at some point. And uh, I'm glad to hear that you're in the dressing camp. I know there's two types of people. It's like you got Alabama and Auburn people, <laughs> and then you got dressing and stuff. And I'm I'm hashtag team uh, dressing. So I'm, I'm <laughs> me there. me too. That's it. Stuffing something you put in a dead bird or, you know, in a pillow or something <laughs> like that. So, well, how's, uh, how's, how's the fishing up there? All this cool weather, is it, uh, is it starting to pick up on the bite? Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's been really good on the Tallapoosa here. Um, I've been, I've been, you know, there mostly, uh, Lake Martin, Lake Jordan. We're getting a lot of rain today and Lake Jordan's been okay. Uh, you, you can catch a night, you know, the in all the Coosa River lakes, you can catch a nice mess of fish, but, the bite's a little slower there just because the water's so clear. We hadn't had any rain, but I think, uh, th- this rain, it, it's rained here pretty good, uh, last night and, and all day today, really. But, uh, I think this rain is going to help the Coosa system, you know, the, the bite pick, to, pick up on the Coosa River system, but, uh, it's definitely going to help. But, but yeah, the fish has been really good. Uh, the last two months have been, been excellent. These, you know, these fish, these fish are on brush, you know, no, your, your normal, you know, fall, fall pattern, early winter, the, you know, if you can find some brush in 15 to 25 foot of water, you know, it's, it's got fish on it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's normal for this time of the year. But, uh, but we're seeing, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of fish, uh, even starting to see a, a, a few school fish here and there, but, uh, but mostly, mostly catching them on brush still in 15 to 25 foot of water and uh like i said we are starting to see just a few school fish but they'll they'll stay on that brush you know and depending on what kind of weather we get how cold how quick it gets but uh usually mid to low 50s you know when it gets when it gets down to 55 or so they'll uh a lot of those fish will start schooling out chasing shad and uh some of them will come a lot of those bigger fish will mature fish will come off that brush and you can still catch some some juveniles on the brush but a lot of your bigger fish are going to be out schooling feeding up you know uh, on those shad uh in the in the winter here but you know it, all of it's good fishing good fishing here in, in central alabama uh winter fishing some of the best so we're uh it's really good now and i think it's only going to get better with the cooler weather well, that's interesting to hear you talk about them schooling offshore. What changes as far as your fishing tactics when they move from the brush to offshore? Are you usually catching them? Are you vertical jigging for them? Are you spider rigging? Do you drift? Do you cast and retrieve? How do you catch them once they start moving offshore well, and kind of you, schooling? Used to, uh, you know, used to long line troll. You know, when you find those fish, you can, you know, there'll be several schools of them. And, you know, you can, you know, I'm talking, you know, 10, 15 years ago. We used to long line troll and catch them, or you can spider rig and catch them, you know, push to them. But I used to, to, to use a 360, a hummingbird 360. Uh, I, I've always liked casting, so I, I, I figured out a way to cast to them, you know, no matter what the electronics were. But as soon as that 360 came out and I learned how to use it, I used to ease around and find the school and cast into them with that 360. Uh, and, of course, you know, everything's gotten better now now we got forward facing sonar so you know i can just scan around and find a school and sit back and you know we can cast to them with, with that forward facing sonar now so you know my approach to them it, it, we still cast and that's what we do 99 percent of the time unless i'm in mississippi 
uh, in the spring, and then we long pole fish. But we pretty much use a six foot, six and seven foot rod here uh, year round. And I mean, that's every fish you see on on our post is pretty much caught casting here. So that's how we do it. So are are you casting and and retrieving? I know I've seen some guys that do like a like a bladed jig, like a road runner or something like that, and kind of cast and retrieve. Is that what you're doing, or are you just casting, letting it kind of fall and swing? What's your what's your technique there? It, it just it just depends on it. Just we do a lot of uh, casting and retrieving. It just depends on you know sometimes those fish want it kind of just floating. So sometimes we'll throw out and just hold our line tight and let it float through to get a bite. It just depends on the day and, and how those fish are biting. But, you know, just a, a lot of cast and retrieve and cast and just kind of let it let it drift, let it float through through the fish, and, and some of them will hit it. But we, we don't do a lot of, you know, popping or jerking or, or you know, jigging. I mean, I, I don't I don't think that, you know, you, you can get a reaction bite out of a fish by doing that sometimes when he won't bite. But, you know, you've never seen a minnow jig before a live man i mean you, you, you that's what i tell people all the time quit moving your rod tip you know minnows you know live bait doesn't do that and you know if you want to look natural to to the to the fish then it's got to look look you know natural like a minnow in the water and you know a minnow don't just jump up and down i mean it it just it, it you know they don't do that so uh you know it's I, i'm more of a natural presentation to those fish and and I, you know, I think honestly, I think that's why we catch so many because we we kind of keep it simple, basic, natural. I think there's definitely. I'm glad to hear you say that. I think there's something to that. I know I I catch fish better the less quote unquote action I put on something. I, I seem to always catch fish best on either a steady retrieve or just a retrieve and a little pause. And uh, I forget who it was, but we had somebody on the podcast over the summer, and he was talking about fishing like a Carolina worm. And he said he would tell the same thing to his clients. He's like, look, you're fishing that worm. He says, when's the last time that you sat there and watched a worm crawl across your driveway? If it rains and they come up on your driveway, he said, you ever watch one just jump three foot up in the air all of a sudden? And they said, no. And he said, well, why are you making that worm do that? He said, just crawl that worm on the bottom. Those yep. fish will find that's it. Right. He said, he said, don't, don't, don't make them spasm down there. He said, you're going to, he said, they, they know that's not right. That's funny. Yeah, I, to hear you I, say I, that. I agree. Same, same deal. I, 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 you know, and it, and a lot of that boils, you know, back to what you you what you have confidence in. But I mean, now that I can see those fish react, I mean, hell, it's not it's not hard to see, you know, what they respond to the the, the best. I mean, you, you, I mean, now we can see them. I mean, you you don't you don't have to be a fisherman, a true fisherman, you know, when I like when I first started to to guide these days. I mean, I mean, I hate to say that, but you don't. I mean, we got people guiding that, you know, are pretty much just forward-facing sonar guides. But yeah, if you sit there and watch those baits and stuff, you'll you'll figure out pretty quick, you know, what looks natural to those fish and what doesn't. And you know, I think the the more natural presentations are are the ones that catch the most fish. For sure, I, I kind of learned that I've never had forward-facing sonar, but I grew up. I was lucky; I had access to a real clear creek. You learn a lot about fish behavior that way when you can sit there and watch a fish and throw something past him and see how he reacts to it. I can see how forward-facing sonar would be a good thing to have. Uh, it kind of shorten that learning curve for sure. Circling back to what you were saying earlier about fishing for fish on brush piles, I know that's something we do a lot of down here as well. I guess that's kind of a universal. And I don't know about where you're at. Here we have so much brush and so much structure. And, you know, 
not a, not every brush pile obviously holds fish not every old falling down tree top has got fish in it do you have kind of a rule of thumb any criteria that helps you distinguish you know good brush from bad brush i know you said obviously with forward facing sonar it's pretty easy you can look up in there and see if there's fish in it but for the people who don't have that technology is there something that you found that separates good brush from bad brush uh, I mean, all the brushes I put in the water is good brush. <laughs> I mean, that's all yeah. I can tell you. I, mean, I don't, I don't fish anything. That I, I don't guide on anything but stuff that I make. Uh, you know, I, I feel like if I'm, if I'm fun fishing or something, I'll go out and fish. But when I'm making money guiding, I, you know, I, I pretty much guide on on brush piles that I personally made and put in the lake. But you know, I've been doing, I've been putting brush in the lakes for for a long time. You know, at certain times of the year, you know, piles have to be in, in different places, and, and and that's just, you know, to to cut those fish off in transition if they're going up, you know, shallow to spawn, and when they come back out, you know, you can put you can put deep structure in on on ledges and drop offs and you know humps and and stuff like that, and and they'll hold fish, you know, almost year round. But you know, some of the better piles over the last couple of years have been shallower. 12, 12 to 15 foot of water, 10, well, really 10 to 15 foot of water piles. And it just seems like those those big females, when they go into spawn, when they come back out, they hold on the first piece of structure that, you know, that's on the way back out. They just hold there. And the last couple of years, it seems like they've been holding there longer. So some of those shallower piles have, have really paid off big in the last couple of years. And, and, and they paid off longer in, into the summer. You know, we're still catching fish on shallow piles in these clear water lakes in in june and july and you know used to that uh that wasn't the case i mean used to they would be on out deep by by mid-june so uh you know i i guess to answer your question i i put piles a little bit everywhere you know like i said when we first started talking this time of the year you know 15 to 25 foot of water right now seems to be the the best concentration of fish but you know there are some fish up shallow in 10 to 15 foot of water but uh you know uh, like i said the the most the most fish i'm seeing right now is is anywhere from 15 to 25 foot of water and that that's not the fish now that's the depth of water some of those fish will be you know elevated up to four or five feet under the surface above some of those piles so you know that that's that's kind of what i look for is, you know i don't put them in any one certain spot i, I kind of put some here and some there that way you know if they're still shallow i got plenty of fish shallow and if they're deep i you know I, i've got piles out there too can't can't have too many piles in other words there we go it's always better the more options you got the better well eric uh you know coming up here on the holidays i know a lot of folks are starting to get some free time uh maybe looking to book a trip where's a good place to get in touch with you if somebody wants to get in on some crappie fishing up there in central alabama I post all my stuff on my personal Facebook page. It's just Eric Cagle, E-R-I-C-C-A-G-L-E. They can see all of our trips. I post pictures every day of our trips, or they can they can contact me by by phone, 334-558-4097. And uh, we're booking for we're booking for April and May of 24 right now. So we we you know we're getting on on up there. But uh but I'd I'd love to have them. Well, yeah, that's that's perfect, guys. That's what you want. You want somebody who's booked out for months in advance. That's that's somebody who knows what they're doing. And I can testify. I'm scrolling through Eric's Facebook page, and uh, 
man, if he don't know what he's doing, I don't know who does. So he does a pretty good job up there. I appreciate it. We we work we work hard at it. That's that's for sure. But uh, but yeah, man, always always good to talk to you. Yeah, those guys are going out over the holidays here. Like I said, the the fifteen to twenty five foot of water range is is where most of the fish are right now. So turn you know crank those boats up and go go get you a mess. There we go. Well, Eric, I always appreciate you being on the show. I always enjoy talking to you. Go ahead and we'll start planning get get our Thanksgivings out with our families. But I'll uh, I'll be talking to you again soon in the future. Hey, man, sounds good. Y'all have a good Thanksgiving. Yes, sir. You as well. All righty, guys, let's take a quick break. Here's some, some of this week's sponsors. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks offer numerous items to help get your project done right the first time. They carry a variety of different panel profiles and your choice of colors and gauges with all the matching trim and accessories. They also offer a full line of hardware items and post-frame building design. Their friendly and knowledgeable sales representatives are always willing to help answer any questions or concerns you may have. Contact them with any questions or to get a free estimate today. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. Well, folks, that wraps up this week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. If you'd like for us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, just text the word FISHING to 314-665-1767. Subscribe to our email list and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Killer Dock combines durability, function, and design to uniquely upgrade your entire dock experience. Visit KillerDock.com to see more. Also by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call 1-888-830-POND or info at scpond.com. Also brought to you by L&M Marine. L&M Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats to pontoons to bigger bay and hybrid boats for the hardcore angler. You can visit them at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or give them a call at 251-937-1380. And brought to you by Fish Bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rigs or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com.